BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. We have a an interesting show today. We're going to talk about the state of the Russia probe. As we are recording this, we're just coming off of President Trump's summit in Singapore. It's kind with, of eclipsed all other news. Yeah, it seems like, it's, right? it's it's one of those things where you know, sort of like when a when a, I mean, a bad analogy, but sort of like when a bomb goes off and it pushes all the oxygen right, out of the space, right. and there's just there's there's kind of no room for anything else. So whatever whatever the verdicts are for that summit, it clearly, you know, it took over the news space for about 24 hours. There's no question about that. And a lot of kind of wild pictures that, I mean, it's, 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 it's funny. I don't know about you, David, but with, with Kim Jong, Kim Jong Un, I like, I'm not sure I've ever seen him on camera in a for lack of a, I mean, not like that wasn't. A, I mean, obviously that was a highly scripted yeah. situation, but we we almost always see him on North Korean yeah. state press, which is all controlled by in the front state. of you know screaming fans. I guess you know not yeah. fans, but you know what I mean. Just <laughs> yeah. sort of his adoring people. Exactly. Right? It was just sort of interesting to yeah. see him interacting in a highly scripted setting, yep. but at least ones where you have press there where right. something weird happens <laughs> right. they could you know they're allowed yeah, to allowed to say it it felt like one of those moments where you're watching history unfold for better or for yeah, worse yeah you know absolutely I mean? there's no there's no there's uh there there's no quite there's no question of that it, it it definitely is and you know the i believe the armistice in the korean war was 1953 it's possible it's 1952 and i'm misremembering uh but Kim Il Sung, uh, Kim Jong Un's grandfather, was was the leader then, and he had a was, had a very long life. He died in 1994, I'm pretty sure, right after the deal that Clinton and then Jimmy Carter kind of inveigled right. this way. This very <laughs> this very strange thing. So yeah, it's there's never been a there's never been a meeting like this. So it is. Historic, even if it's historic as kind of like a nothing burger, it's still <laughs> right. historic. There's no question about right. it. Let me let me quickly uh, mention Grady's Cold Brew, which is you know our sponsor here on the Josh Marshall podcast. It's kind of cool, you know. Like now we see it like on Twitter. Yeah, you get people saying, "Dude, Grady's man!" <laughs> like it's part of like the, I know I see it at the grocery store, and I feel a little fraternity, you know, yeah, kind of. Uh, yeah, totally. Well, people people you know know it's our know it's our sponsor, and they like to uh, you know kind of chime in and say. I got my first, yeah, we appreciate my, that. My first, uh, you know, delivery. Yeah, we totally do. Uh, definitely support our sponsors. Still need a Father's Day gift? Hand the man a cold brew. Give Pops the ultimate summer surprise with a subscription to Grady's Cold Brew. He gets 36 cups of New Orleans-style iced coffee delivered directly to his door. 
The cold brew kit includes everything he will need to create smooth, velvety cold brew at home. Just add water. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. Or order Grady's on Amazon.com for next day delivery. All right. Cool. Thank you, Grady's, for the reminder. I still need to get a Father's Day card, so maybe I'll have to throw in some extra Grady's in there Yeah, I I was was just telling David that, like, Father's Day is the only holiday I don't really have to worry about, right? (laughs) It's nice how that works out. My my own father, uh, unfortunately, passed away a number of years ago. So, and, like, I'm a father, so you just kind of, like, hang back and and wait for the... Enjoy it, Appreciate the congrats, basically, (laughs) right? Totally. All right. So... What we're going to talk about today is, as we mentioned, we are coming off the uh, Trump-Kim summit in Singapore. That has sort of taken up all the media space. A number of commentators have mentioned that it's at least kind of momentarily seemed to take uh, Trump's focus off the Russia probe. Right. I mean, he was sort of he had he had the G seven thing. He was right. arguing with uh, Justin Trudeau, right. Right. and now he's got this. So the the Russia thing has been sort of mo- seemingly moved to the back burner. Yeah. And on the one hand, I think we can almost go from the fact that every time it's on the back burner, that means something is about to blow. Basically, sure. something's going to come up. But in this case, we actually know. I think that we're basically in a calm before the storm moment. And I want to quickly run through uh, some of some of the reasons that we think about that, uh, think that. Now, um, Gabriel Sherman just uh, published a story in Vanity Fair that came out this afternoon, that is Tuesday afternoon, June 12th, that it, it's sort of a state of play on the Russia probe, but one of the things he says is that Michael Cohen is telling friends that he expects to be arrested any day. Now, that's sort of a, a you know, kind of slippery or vague statement, sure. but it does – I think people have been wondering. I mean – Yeah, we've we've even talked about this, right? Like we know there's been a criminal probe for – you know, months. sometime, yeah, and there was, a, and the raid now is is uh, the raid is a couple months. Yeah, I think it's almost exactly a couple months. Yeah. I think it was April 9th. And I remember I asked you this in the office the other day, like, you know, what, why haven't charges been filed yet? And 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 explain like what you told me, which is sort of there's some procedural stuff that has to happen before. Oh yeah, that. well I think the, the the main thing at least was that there, and it's interesting. You know, when you first said that, I was like. Dude, I don't remember. What I, <laughs> I had to think for a second. I, what what we discussed was that as long as these privilege uh, legal proceedings right. are going on, and that has to do with what was seized from his office, whether it's you know protected by attorney-client privilege, exactly. That is, as long as significant evidence is outstanding. Uh, that's a good reason to hold up because right. you know you might get more evidence, um, and we don't really know. We don't really know where that comes down, but it sort of makes sense that that would be a major. You know, they'd want to kind of get past that. Sure. But some information came out a few days ago where it seemed clear that there were only a very small, like a very small number right. of things that are even being contested. So in any case, he's apparently saying this that he expects this to come any day. And that is not that surprising, given given where we are in this investigation. So obviously, that would be a lot of fireworks, depending, you know, right. 
regardless of how much substantive. But we would know the charges, so yeah. we would we we would know there like what. I mean, we're all assuming that there's this great leverage that they have uh, over Cohen, but we'd know what it is. Does it is it just the uh, Stormy Daniels related bank fraud? Is it the taxi stuff? Right. Does it actually go to the collusion stuff? We just don't know. So A that combination is, of all three. Yeah, exactly. So so if if and when he is arrested. Um, and presumably charged, we would we would get some new information there. Another really big thing, and we have a date certain on this, is that Thursday, two days from today, the Department of Justice Inspector General is going to release his big Inspector General's report. Now there are there's going to be a number of these because Rod Rosenstein has been adding on new things, sort of every time Trump gets angry and demands an investigation. <laughs> What Rosenstein has done is basically say, you know, Inspector General, right. you, why don't you take a look at that? And that is it kind of takes some pressure off him, right? It says oh, we're working on it, it's, whatever. Yeah, it's addressed, and it's it's not great because you, it is a very bad precedent to begin investigations of things for which there is no probable cause, legitimate suspicion, anything like that. But obviously, we are. We are way out of nor- the normal state of things, and this has been how he has dealt with it. So he's been adding things on to there. But on Thursday, we're going to have this report about what the FBI and the Department of Justice did during the 2016 election. I think it's possible there may be some follow-ups that also uh, look at 2016, but this is going to be the big one. And we don't well obviously we don't know exactly what is going to be in there but we think we have a fairly good idea and it's sort of it it kind of cuts both ways in 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 a in a very weird way what we expect it we expect that there will be criticism of James Comey um, other officials but at least the criticism that we know about seems to turn largely on the fact that they were unfair or didn't didn't act appropriately towards Hillary Clinton. Right. So basically, Hillary got a bad rap, and so you're gonna inevitably, and you're already seeing this sort of sort of previewed, that you're going to have this very weird set of circumstances where the Trump crew are going to say they were vindicated because Comey should have been fired, when in fact. The criticisms, again, at least that we expect, are ones that he did exactly what Trump was asking him right. to do at the time, right. which was to, you know, uh, throw the book at, exactly. at, at Hillary. And ironically, this was the reason, you know, he wrote that he fired Comey in the first place, right? Yeah, that was the thing, and that original, and it all comes back to to Rod Rosenstein again, because I mean, it seems like a lifetime ago or five lifetimes ago <laughs> that back in May of 2017. <laughs> Trump gets mad. He decides to fire James Comey. He brings Jeff Sessions and Rod Rosenstein over to the White House and basically says, I'm firing the guy. You know, write me a brief to justify it. Rosenstein writes this brief, which basically says that Comey um, violated uh, Department of Justice guidelines, not broke the law, but right. sort of, you know, kind of misused his authority in how he treated Hillary Clinton. Ergo, you should fire him. Yep. Trump does fire him. But then because Trump is Trump, he goes on Lester Holt, <laughs> right. like what, two days later? Yeah. And basically said, dude, I fired him because of Russia. So, right. so but, but that's out there. So anyway, that is going to come out. 
And that is going to be like a, you know, we expect tweets. We expect uh, like a thermonuclear <laughs> yeah. blast. But I mean, I got obviously I have nukes on on, on the <laughs> right. brain here. That's going to be a big deal, and we are undoubtedly going to find out a lot more. Like one thing that he's supposed to be looking into is did FBI agents in the New York FBI office, you know. Did James Comey was James Comey worried that they were going to leak the stuff about Hillary, and that's why he did what he did? Did they actually leak the information about Hillary to Rudy Giuliani? There's a lot of questions yeah. that that we're that we're at least going to get this report's and, and opinion correct, on. And correct me if I'm wrong, are we we're expecting it to be what around 500 pages? I feel like there's something. Has yeah, come it was something. Say, I think right. that's right. I mean, so, so super, this going to be a lot. Super, in there. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be. I mean, they've been. They remember. I'm pretty certain of this this report the the investigation began under president obama mm. I, I i'm pretty certain of this that the origin of this investigation actually goes all the way back to the i think actually before the election you know it's in response to the comey thing where democrats stand up and they're like what the fuck right. like how you know how was this allowed to happen right. so they've been working on this for like a year and a half maybe even more than a year and a half so that's going to be a big deal and we don't know what else who you know uh, we don't know what else there it's a funny it's a funny process with inspector general's reports generally speaking they allow the the people discussed in different areas of the report to review it and then make comments or kind of, you know, kind of speak their piece or whatever. Anyway, that's a big deal. Now, the next day, Paul Manafort uh, goes to court for another day in court, but we also expect that he's going to have a bail hearing. And the Mueller prosecutors have already said his bail should be revoked. He should be sent to jail because... He's he's out on he's out on bail and he's using being out on bail to try to tamper with witnesses. <laughs> so you have that happen uh, a week or so back where they made that accusation. He actually was working with this guy Konstantin Kalimnik, yep. who is uh, basically his he was his protege slash business partner in Ukraine, right? A sort of mini Manafort. He's a it, diminu- diminutive guy. He is, he's very well. So, you know, I have a source who actually has met this guy a few oh, really? times, and he's he uh, vice. Public. The first, no one had any pictures of this guy. Right. There was jokes that he could fit into like a carry-on suitcase, <laughs> like all these things. Well, that's the thing. Apparently, so it makes you wonder, like, who, who, you know, who is this guy? Yeah, yeah. So, so um, a reporter at Vice, whose whose name escapes me, uh, found Kalimnik's wife's a derelict social media account. You know, kind of a Facebook like account. On some Russian social media, it's not that one. The, it, I, I can't remember what's called, like Verkhansk or mm. whatever. That's the big face. It's not that one. It's another one. In any case, they found some pictures of him. Right. Um, so he's he the point, and he is U.S. intelligence suspects that he is actually still tied to Russian intelligence. Right, and was sort of up. Through the election period, right? Up until now, presumably. Up until now, I mean, okay. he lives in Moscow. So right. in any case, uh, Manafort is not only trying to uh, witness tamper, he's actually, he's you, he is working with people who are the people who observe, I'm getting lost here, 
he's the one we're talking about about collusion so he's like he, it's like a combo obstruction right. collusion like right. hat trick it's like an innovation <laughs> that uh, Manafort is doing in any case our reporting is we, we don't know what's going to happen but our reporting suggests that it is definitely more than likely that Manafort will be sent to jail at the end of that hearing so Manafort will probably go into that hearing a free man and that's it. Yeah. He's he he goes to jail. So again, that will be another, at least on an optics level, pretty pretty Absolutely. big thing. And we don't really know. I mean, one of the things that is so striking about this, you know, there was, you know, before we had Singapore, before we had that debacle up in Mont, you know, in <laughs> yeah, uh, Quebec. Quebec yeah. Um, we were on that thing where Trump's like he's gonna pardon Muhammad Ali. He's pardoning everybody, That's right. right? A string of pardons. Yeah, yeah. and one of the things in, in in one of the little impromptu conversations with reporters, someone asked him about Manafort, and he's like, yeah, yeah, we're still, you know, it's, it's too soon to talk about that. It's, the key is here, as a prosecutor, uh, Mueller, or Mueller's prosecutors, are trying to, you know, raise the temperature on Manafort, right. to keep, you know, hitting him with more charges to get him to cooperate. And Trump is right there in before our eyes doing exactly the opposite. Because if you think about it, if you're Manafort, if you are convicted of any substantial number of these charges, you're probably going to spend your the rest of your life in prison. He's 69 years old. Yeah. Um, but... And, and so normally you think, all right, time to cooperate. Now, there may be – we and others have speculated that there's – Manafort seems to be reacting to things that go beyond the calculus that we normally think about, about you know just, just going to prison. But the key is if you're Manafort, if Trump is saying, ah, I might pardon him, why would you cooperate? Why? Why? Yeah. I mean, maybe once you're in jail, maybe that kind of focuses your attention. But as long as you're basically at liberty right. and you're just playing it out, just play it out. I mean, because presumably, I mean, presumably you can cooperate. You can certainly cooperate after you're convicted. I, you know, Trump is, is, is doing everything he can to frustrate Mueller's uh, plan here, his, his, his goal Simply by talking about it and not and, and leaving and, the door open. Yeah, leaving the door open, like uh, you know, maybe. I mean, because that's a right. classic, you know, that's a classic Trump thing. It's like, true. Oh, we'll see how it works it's out. True. You know, yep. that that kind of like you know, basically for every administration official he's fired, he sort of preempts it. You know, I hope it works out. I hope uh, you know he's a great guy. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, and it's funny because there's a whole there's a whole thing Trump has with the. Trump is very big on the aesthetics of power. Sure. I mean, that's obvious, but it's it's worth saying. There's even things like, you know, we are all used to these pictures now. Every time there's a there's a picture in the Oval Office, it's Trump sitting yeah. behind that big resolute desk and everybody else standing. Yeah. Again, a, a just, you know, uh, optics 101. Yeah. Who's in charge? The guy sitting. You stand, I sit. If you think about it, like I cannot remember there's there's um bill signings which usually aren't in the oval office 
president's always signing because you know you're sitting because you have at to the desk, yeah, yeah the, right. whatever. But like you never saw that with Obama, and frankly, you never saw that with Bush. Just right. no one, no one else does that. Um, and Trump is the same with. He likes to show power by talking vaguely. He's like, oh, we'll see what happens. Right. Sort of demonstrating by his words, like, I can decide to do it <laughs> right. or not do it. Yeah. You know, just his it, kind of demonstrating his, um, that his whim mm-hmm. is what controls things. He doesn't have to make up his mind. He doesn't have to follow a, a, preordained process right. it's just what occurs to him is what he is what he wants to do um so those things are happening now here here is one thing that did happen over the weekend so much other stuff has been happening in the united states in canada that it hasn't gotten too much attention but it's a really big deal um we have known go back to 2016 there was also the brexit vote in the united kingdom and that was sort of similar to Trump's election right. on a lot of different fronts. And it, not that not that long before our own election, right? Yeah, I think it was like June or July. Right. It was in the summer, so yeah. four or five months yeah. before. Um, and one of the things about that vote, so there was, it was very similar in the sense of political establishment versus. Po- you know, kind populist of uprising. populist uprising, a lot of right wing, uh, you know, kind of protect Brit- the homeland. Yeah, sort of kind thing. of British equivalent of yeah. the alt right and everything like that. So that happened. And the and it was also it was it was less unexpected, I think. Well, the polls were actually the polls in the United Kingdom, I think, had the remain vote slightly ahead, but I think it was one of those things, not unlike Trump, where even though the polls were fairly close, people just could not believe that could actually happen. Just like, it's not, that's just too crazy to happen. So it did happen. And there were also connections between the people. Um, Trump's forces, Bannon, they were very tied to this guy, Nigel Farage, in the United Kingdom, who was originally head of something called the United Kingdom Independence Party, which is sort of a Trumpist, nationalist, uh, anti-establishment party in the UK. It was behind uh, the Leave the EU campaign, the Brexit campaign, but just in general, sort of, you know, immigrants out, you know, uh, I mean, in a way it's British nationalism, but I think in a a deeper way, it's really English nationalism. In any case, so... It has been clear for a long time that there were a lot of ties between the Trump campaign and the Brexit crew. And it was also known that Russia was kind of pushing Brexit through its media channels and stuff like that. Again, not surprising. The sort of the strategic goal of Russia for decades has been to break up NATO, break up uh, the EU. So that's not terribly surprising. And there's been suspicions that there was sort of like a British equivalent of collusion, basically kind of the Russians like involved in some ways with in some way with the the Brexit forces. And 
another tie is that the Trump campaign and a part of the Brexit, the pro-Brexit campaign, was using Cambridge Analytica. So a lot of, in, you know, kind of overlapping, overlapping yeah. stuff. Now, something happened this weekend that really kind of changed the game for what was known. Now, one thing we have to discuss before getting into that is that there were basically two main pro-Brexit campaigns. There was uh, one that was called, uh, I think, UK Leave. There was, there was the mainstream Leave campaign, which had support, you know, establishment support or support from within the establishment parties. And that was sort of the official pro-Brexit campaign. And then there was a second one called Leave EU, which was associated with Nigel Farage, um, informally associated with the UK Independence Party. And it was funded by a guy named Aaron Banks. And this was someone who was a not terribly well-known conservative party political donor, rich guy, you know, they're a dime a dozen. And in 2014, he switches his support to the UK Independence Party. And then he founds this Leave EU, the sort of, again, kind of British equivalent of alt-right Trumpist part of the pro-Brexit thing. Now, there's been a lot of suspicions about were they, did they have some ties to Russia? Were they being pushed by Russia? All this kind of stuff. Well, it came out over the weekend, um, the Guardian and a few other uh, British uh, news organizations got hold of a series of emails that showed that, yes, they actually had a lot of connections. Right. So let me try to run through it just just the just the basics banks and a pollster and communications partner of his had a series of meetings over the course of 2015 16 into 17 with high level russian diplomats the russian ambassador to the uk um they're they're talking all the time through this and right when Banks is about to launch this campaign, the Russian ambassador to the United Kingdom introduces him to this Russian businessman who offers him to get involved in an investment that could make banks billions of dollars. Right. So, uh, you know, it's and it's that investment right was sort of in gold in gold mines in Russia. Is yeah, that I right? think I think basically how it's been described is. There were a series of five or six Russian gold companies. Not really clear. Not whether, mines necessarily. Uh, yeah, it wasn't clear to me whether they were mines or somewhere else in in the process. But the deal was basically you buy up these half half dozen companies, consolidate them into one company, and part of that whole rigmarole reap the benefits. Yeah, you yeah. you you pocket a couple billion dollars or something like that. So, in other words, what you have is seemingly pretty hard evidence of what we suspect happened here. Right. You know, you've got a, you have a political movement that is, as as, uh, Mike Hayden was telling us in the last episode, is something that the political culture gins up itself. Russia didn't, you know, invent 
British hostility right. to the EU right. or the large or the sort of the broader anti-immigrant thing, which is tied to the EU because of uh, the, the, you know, the uh, open immigration zone and all that kind of stuff. But once it was there, they saw the advantages of it and they they tried to build ties and pump money in the direction right. of, of the of the people who were behind it. So what wasn't clear in the reporting over the weekend, and again, this is mainly in the, the British Guardian, uh, which the, the Guardian and the Observer are sort of sister publications over there, but it was, you know, been shards of it have been picked up by everyone. Um, we don't know yet whether that deal came to fruition, whether banks got the money, and whether... Did he use that money? Like, is did that to pump that, into the campaign? Yeah, or pump what? into the campaign. I mean, obviously, yeah. money's fungible, and if someone says, "I'm going to cut you into this business deal for a billion dollars," why don't you just take some of your own money and yeah. be extra generous about it? So that part of it we don't know yet. But again, there's what came out was pretty convincing document documentary evidence of the kind of stuff that a lot of us suspect happened here. Now, the other point is after the Brexit vote happened and it was successful, that whole crew, Nigel Farage, Aaron Banks, these guys literally come over to the U.S. and start campaigning for Trump. Right. They had a, a big rally in Mississippi. Yeah, is Jackson, Mississippi in, a, I think it was like mid-late August. Right. Farage actually comes down and he's like, campaigning with Trump. Which Isn't is, it kind of amazing how, you know, in certain conservative circles in the U.S., there's sort of an anti-European vibe in some ways, right? Like those sort of elitist, if, you know. Yeah, uh, you know, exactly. And, yeah, we all know And yet that. here they are on American yeah, soil. It's, it's kind just of like, kind of, I mean, it is, it is normal and understood and uncontroversial and really nothing terribly wrong with it that there have long been ties between the Democratic Party here and the Labor Party in the UK. Sure. Same with the Tories and the Republicans. Right. You know, we 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 share language, we right. we we uh, a lot of our, you know, a lot of similarities in our politics. So, it, you know, th- that's not terribly surprising, but you don't see people actually come over and right. campaign in our I mean, that's just more unusual. Yeah, that's just kind of strange. Um in any case, but again, it looks like Russia was involving itself in both of these efforts. And one of the things that came out of that Again, reporting over the weekend, and if you want to, if you want to look this stuff up and read it yourself, Google Nigel Farage. Nigel, you probably know how to spell Farage is F A R A G E, and then this other guy, Aaron Banks. Aaron, in this case, is spelled A R R O N Banks. Google those two names; you'll find all sorts of stuff. Right before. Banks and Farage and those guys came over and started, you know, campaigning for Trump just before they had a meeting with the Russian ambassador, you know, like a few days before. Um, Another thing is after the election, they were actually here, I think, for the election. And there's lots of there's a lot of pictures of them after the, you know, after the win and everything. And Farage was like a fixture of the, during the transition period, he's kind of, you know, around. And there was even some talk that Trump was going to insist that he become the ambassador from the UK. (laughs) For another country. Yeah. yeah. yeah, Well, and it's especially crazy with, with the UK because they have a, a very 
professionalized diplomatic corps. It's it is for better or worse the norm in the U.S. that the president will appoint a lot of friends and major donors, donors to, yeah. you know, kind of like uh, ambassador to the UK, you know, big ambassadorships. Right. They don't do that in the UK. It's again, it's a professionalized system. Plus, everybody in the British political establishment hates Farage. <laughs> I mean, they absolutely hate him. So it was a, it was a, it was a crazy idea. After that happened, um, banks took all the contact information that he had about the Trump world and gave it to his con- his Russian contacts in the UK. So, you know, it is, um, it hasn't gotten a lot of attention here because, again, it's not our country. Right. It, doesn't, it doesn't directly prove anything, but it definitely shows the pattern of conduct. It, it's very, very similar. And even to the point where, again, this, this, this gold deal, it's never been... There was it was interesting. Ann Applebaum, um, the columnist for the Post, among other places, was talking about this. That it's interesting, among other reasons, because it shows the 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 strategy that you and and one point she had was that we don't know if this deal happened, um, and maybe it doesn't need to happen. You just kind of dang. I mean. If someone if someone sounds like they're it's seriously talking to yeah. you about like a billion dollars, right. <laughs> that's going to focus your attention. Yeah, and if you're you already know? like a somewhat successful businessman, that's the sort of thing that can supercharge your, you know, your personal wealth, your business, your whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 so she was speculating that you know all of the tantalizing details we have about a Trump Tower Moscow. Maybe it didn't matter whether it came through. They just had Trump's attention, right? Because it might come through. It's the meeting. Wanted it bad. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, so it is. It's just very similar. And I suspect, um, you know, these things are going to collide. They, they, it's. We already know that that Mueller's investigators are sort of looking at this, at this angle too. I mean, these people are probably. Uh, Beyond the reach of U.S. law, it's 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 a British concern. It's not really our concern, but that doesn't mean the investigation isn't isn't looking at these folks. So all these things together, I think we are are if if you if you like getting new new Russia probe information and and sort of high octane craziness, you're in luck. And if you're <laughs> and if you're overwhelmed, you're not in luck. You're right. you're in trouble because I, I think that. Uh, later this week, it's going to be back with a force. Now, one final thing is in that in that Gabriel Sherman article that I mentioned from Vanity Fair. You know, those different publications do different kinds of journalism, and one of a lot of those pieces in Vanity Fair are, you know, they're not they're not breaking a lot of kind of concrete news. They're more people's feelings right. and scuttlebutt. And right. it's entertaining and it Absolutely. can be very revealing. Um, one of the things he said is that Trump's, the people around Trump are sort of worried that he's going to come back from Singapore feeling he's got his mojo and <laughs> yeah. like, you know, fire Bob Mueller right. or fire Rod Rosenstein. Um, but Although, I, they've been saying that for a while, right? They I have mean, they've I, definitely been saying I mean, that for a while. Wasn't it last summer Trump did direct 
sessions to fire Mueller or Rosenstein, right? I think and that someone yeah, they God. talked him off of the edge. It was uh, it was McGahn. Right. He asked McGahn to fire Mueller, and McGahn. Ba- I mean, it's sort of it's been played different ways. The initial the initial reporting probably from McGahn was sort of like he threatened to resign. Yeah. Blah blah blah. blah. But I think the 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 sum of the subsequent reporting was more like McGahn just left the room and never did anything and sort of assumed it would blow over. Just to say that we've been sort of at the ledge before. We have, but I will say this. One thing um, that I've... there's, There's been a series of reports of late that, you know, we may look at Trump and think, like, he's just getting crazier and crazier. But it seems like there's a... There was interesting, something Maggie Haberman said that, and people trash her a lot, and, and I have my criticisms of her, but she's a really good reporter. And, and Absolutely. There is, there is a huge amount we would not know if she were not reporting every day for the Times. Yes. Um, so there was something she was saying that of the people that she and one of her colleagues uh, you know, talked to daily about Trump, of the ones who have only been there in the White House are saying he's getting crazier and it's it's not you know it's not like it's it was it's 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 getting worse the people who knew him from the trump organization era just say this trump he's always been this way and their interpretation was and this has a ring of truth to me that you know no matter how cocky you are the presidency is like nothing else the 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 scale of the responsibility the amount of work the complexity the pressure all these kind of things their point is that, you know, for the first year or so, Trump felt like overwhelmed, yeah. and he had a like lot, other presidents have. Yeah, exactly. Um, felt overwhelmed, and he, and and so sort of that kind of pushed him back, and that's that's saying something because he seemed pretty crazy from day <laughs> from day one, basically. But he also had um, people like Gary Cohn, H.R. McMaster. Uh, he had. Ryan's Priebus, he had um, John- even even Sean Spicer. I guess you could put in that camp as yeah, an establishment or Kelly, kind of guy, right? You know, Kelly, bef- like when he was in a stronger position, and we may see, and I think rightly see these people as people who've just enabled Trump, but in the process of enabling them, they also sort of muffled him in a way and kept a lot of the some of the the craziest stuff, at least under wraps if they if they didn't prevent it. But all those people are gone now. Or if they're not gone, like in Kelly's case, they've been, you know, kind of neutered in some sense. Um and so that now Trump kind of feels like, I got this. Like, I've done it for a while. I know how to do it. I know how to do it in a Trump way. And in a sense, I think he's right in the sense of kind of like he just he's comfortable now. And so there is that sense that we've been on the brink and all that kind of thing. But I do feel like he feels he he just he seems less restrained now. And I think, although they didn't say this in The Times, that. A big reason he feels less restrained is I think he sees the amount of danger that he's in. So he's willing to sort of, you know, bat for the bleachers basically because he kind of has nothing to lose. Right. You know, so that's – so I think um, even even in addition to these things coming up this week, I think things are about to get 
crazier, which is saying, <laughs> which is a saying lot. something. Yeah. Yeah. Not to mention that we have the midterm elections, what, like four or five months away? Yeah, it's now? only like four and a half months. It's crazy. So, it's coming up quickly. I know, guess, it, yeah, five, four, four and a half, five months. Obviously, we're sort of we're in the primary season, so the, the races are starting to be solidified, but polls show things going a certain way. I mean, you know, Republicans get worried, or if things, you know, we could just see some kind of tumultuous. Stuff happen in the yeah, next few months. I don't think there's. I don't think there's much question. Let me let me remind you that. Uh, wait, I was going to remind you with the wrong piece of paper. Let me remind you that the Josh Marshall podcast is sponsored by Grady's Cold Brew. Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com. Get twenty percent off your first order with promo code TPM, or order Grady's on Amazon.com for next day delivery. So, that's it. All right. Talk to you next week. See you next week, Josh. Bye.